and welcome to the Fertility Answers Podcast. I'm your host, Neil Chappell. I'm an IVF doctor down here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. One of the partners with Fertility Answers. You can check out what we do and what we're about at fertilityanswers.com. But today I am excited to host another episode of our podcast where I'm talking with Caroline, one of the new genetics counselors here at Women's Hospital. And we're going to talk about the really complicated, complex, convoluted, and confusing topic of mosaic embryos. We have come a long way in the ability to fertilize and culture and grow embryos. And now we have the ability to genetically test embryos, as, as many folks will know. And the genetic testing helps us to understand a little bit about the blueprints that an embryo carries. We've talked before about the fact that that an egg and a sperm have to split their DNA in half and then join up with their two halves to make a new whole, a new human. That happens incorrectly more often than we know. And so doing the genetic testing allows us to understand if it happened correctly, it has a chance at that embryo being a baby, or if it happened incorrectly and those embryos don't have much of a chance of being, being a baby. Mosaics are somewhere in between. And that gray area is super confusing for patients. since it, It's a bit of a phenomenon that, that many providers have issues getting their heads around too. So I wanted to bring in an expert uh, to have a conversation with me to better color in how to think about a mosaic embryo, and that's Caroline. So Caroline, thanks for your time. Welcome on. And uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you managed to become a genetics counselor down here in Baton Rouge. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, My name is Caroline. Again, I'm a certified and licensed genetic counselor in the state of Louisiana. Um, I'm from Louisiana, so I always wanted to come back home and kind of help those patients around me that I knew were going to be in my um, patient population. So that's how I kind of ended up being back into Louisiana. But I have spent the last few years not only doing clinical genetic counseling, but also laboratory genetic counseling. So being able to see kind of both sides, not only that patient population, but also what happens whenever you do send that sample to the laboratory and how that laboratory actually interprets that information. Um, So I've kind of gotten pieces of all different types of testing. And um, even though my specialty is cancer genetics, uh, PGT and pre-implantation genetic testing is kind of all in the same bucket. Yep, I would agree. And it's good that you have that lab experience and those lab techniques uh, under your belt, because that that is actually an important distinction when you think about genetic testing of embryos. There are a few different ways to run the panels that test these chromosomes and whether or not you're doing microarrays or next-gen sequencing and which next-gen sequencing platform you use. And, you know, long, long story short, which way you do the genetic testing uh, absolutely does determine the depth of the information that you get and how you read that information that's that's pretty in the weeds for what we're probably going to try to accomplish today but but it's more than reasonable for you to ask your provider if you have a mosaic diagnosis what platform do you use how did you do this how do you determine you know which hits are mosaic or not and and where is the mosaicism and what level etc Let's, so let's dive into that a little bit. Caroline, why don't you, because you, you probably are better at not using as many words as I do, why don't you just, what's, what's your definition of a mosaic embryo? Ooh, that's, that's a complicated question to try to water down. So um, Think about it for a sec. I'll define embryo and then I'll let you define mosaic. So, okay, go ahead. Uh, so, so think about that while I set the stage. So an embryo is when an egg that has been extracted from, uh, from the ovary during an IVF cycle has been fertilized. 
uh, with, with the sperm. And then that egg and sperm, once they become fertilized, they become an embryo. And that embryo, prior to implantation, we call it a pre-implantation embryo. And it starts dividing. It come, becomes the one cell, goes to two, goes to four, goes to eight. And then around three days in, compacts into a little snowball called a morula. And then that morula kind of, I call that the football huddle. Those little cells get together and they say, okay, you become placenta, you become baby, you become placenta, you become baby. And then those cells, all of a sudden they break out into what's called a blastocyst. And you can distinguish, clearly distinguish placental cells, which we call the trifectoderm, and baby cells, which is a collection of cells inside the placenta that we call the inner cell mass. When we do PGT or pre-implantation genetic testing, we biopsy five to 10 cells from the trifectoderm, from that placenta and send them off for genetic analysis. So now that I've kind of set the stage, how do you define mosaic? Yeah, so like you were explaining during that time when egg and sperm meet and we have one full cell and it's going to continue to divide itself. So that one cell goes into two and those two cells go into four. Typically what happens in a mosaic embryo is during that process, there is an error. So say you have four cells, each one of those cells is going to start dividing into two. So you end up with eight. But what if one of those four original actually has a different type of DNA than the other three? What's going to happen is as it starts to multiply, the three that are normal are going to turn into six that are normal. But that one that has a different type of DNA or a different arrangement of DNA is going to multiply into two, which are both going to have that differences of DNA. So in mosaics, we see that an embryo will have multiple different lines of DNA, whether that is the entire cell has a whole extra set of chromosomes, or if some of those cells just have extra pieces of chromosomes. Regardless, mosaicism Water down means that we have at least two different cell lines. So we have normal cells and we have abnormal cells in the same embryo. Yeah, that's perfect. What I tell patients is you kind of think of like a soccer ball where you have some, some little white squares and then some black perfect, squares. Yeah. A, mo a mosaic is the soccer ball, unlike a, a volleyball that's like all white squares. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So when you do that biopsy, if all the cells are normal, we call that euploid, which means it's, uh, they're all normal. If they're all abnormal, it's called aneuploid. And if they're some normal, some abnormal, we call it mosaic. And there's different levels of mosaic. How, how common are mosaic embryos? What, what do you typically tell patients or have you, have you counseled any patients about the, how often we see them? Yeah, so I was actually um, doing some research on this. So even healthy individuals are producing mosaic cells. They're mm -hmm. producing embryos that are not viable to life. But again, even our healthy population is going to have some of those problems. Yeah. So uh, this is this is kind of a difficult distinguishing part. But when you have all normal or all abnormal, that happens before fertilization. Because remember, egg and sperm each have mom and dad, each have their own moms and dad's DNA. And their job when they come, when they wake up and get ready for fertilization is to split exactly in half to have half their DNA. If they split incorrectly, once they become fertilized, you're going to have an abnormal complement of DNA. You're going to have, you're going to have the wrong number from the start and everything is going to be wrong, or you'll have the right number from the start and everything will probably be right. 
So that is a problem with what's called meiosis, which is the process by which the egg or the sperm form their DNA to get ready for fertilization. Once, once the egg and the sperm have fertilized, any problems after that is called a mitosis problem. That's mosaicism because some cells were, were already right and then some cells went wrong. Like you said, perfectly, two, two different lines of populations there, one right, one wrong. Those mitotic errors, I don't really see as much correlation with age. The incidence of mosaicism in embryos is somewhere between 15 and 30%. So 15 to 30% of embryos will be mosaic. Interestingly, there's a different variation around the country. Some areas of the country have a different, slightly different mosaicism rate than others, uh, which we don't really fully understand, but, but it's roughly 15 to 30% across the country and across the world, not based on age. So a 42-year-old will still have a 15 to 30% rate of mosaicism, just like a 22-year-old. But you're absolutely right. The aneuploidy, the number of abnormal embryos goes up with age. Right. And, and you know, with that, the, the purpose of PGT, especially PGTA, looking for um, those large chromosome changes, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the purpose of the design of testing was to find abnormalities that were found in actually the sperm or the egg. This mosaicism mm-hmm. is things that we found now that we weren't, that wasn't the purpose. So it's no, just a we- new issue that, you know, they're trying to work out. Everybody's trying to figure yeah. out what is the purpose of this? How does it move going forward? Is baby going to be viable? Is baby not going to be viable? And kind of what can we do to try to tease some of those out? Yeah, we, we accidentally uh, put ourselves in the pickling kettle with this. And what happened was, and, and you, you could probably speak to this better than, than most because of your history with lab techniques, but the lab techniques got so darn good that we were able to differentiate the differences in genetics down to the cellular level. So we could actually tell the difference in this five cell biopsy that this one cell is abnormal, these four are normal. The, the genetic sequencing testing got so good that we could make that distinguishment at that small of a level. And so now we have mosaics and about 10 years ago, maybe even a little bit longer, we were like, oh no, we're, we're starting to see this mosaicism even at this level. Mosaicism has always, has always been a thing. We, we always knew about it because there are patients that walk around with mosaicism in their tissues. So we've always known this existed, but we didn't realize it was this common this early in the embryo development stage. And so now we see it right. because the techniques have gotten so good. But to your point, you're right. The first question was, what do we do about this? Is this a big deal? And that's probably a, a thing worth talking about now, because now that we know this is here and now that we've defined it, let's talk about what it actually means clinically. The good news is, is that those populations, those cell lines that divide incorrectly tend to get diluted out by the good cell lines. And it makes sense. A bad cell line doesn't have information to continue. It won't. And then the good cells just kind of cover it over and take over and self-correct the embryo by diluting out those bad cell lines uh, more often than we appreciate. And there have been several studies now that have shown that. Probably the most robust study that we talk about is the thousand embryo study where they looked at the, the transfer of a thousand mosaic embryos and that resulted in almost 30% live birth rate, almost 300 of those, of those thousand embryos resulted in live births. And all of them were perfectly healthy, happy, and normal compared to other, other live births that they were matched to same birth weight, same, same phenotype, everything. So it seems like transferring mosaic embryos is relatively safe. What I quote my patients is 30, 30, 30. Okay. Meaning 30% of them will, will, you know, can result in a live birth. 
you do see an increased risk in miscarriage of roughly 30%. And then 30% of them will result in just a negative pregnancy test. So they're not, they're not my first choice in embryo transfer. Obviously we have a euploid embryo. That's where I go first, but, but if you have a mosaic that, that is available for transfer, it's worth a conversation. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a great aspect because I think with a lot of people who are going through infertility, there's a much higher instance of people actually implanting these mosaic embryos, especially Mm -hmm. when they don't have many left or they're getting older in age. Um, So there's just some different parts to that. I think also something from the lab perspective to bring in is, you know, accuracy from the lab only accounts for what's in the tube. So there's a Mm. whole nother layer of getting that sample and actually obtaining that sample from your patient that Mm -hmm. may also have issues when it comes to accuracy and just visual assessment. That's true. And and so you can have that conversation with your provider uh, either prior to going through IVF, you know, what percentage of embryos do you guys biopsy and test? Uh, You know, tell me a little bit about your lab experience. Tell me a little bit about your lab exposure and even after the fact, okay, this embryo resulted as a mosaic. The other embryos resulted as this. Were there any comments or concerns in the lab about those biopsies, et cetera? Uh, and you can kind of bring in the morphology of the embryos at that time too, to talk about. So those are all conversations you can have with your provider and the lab director at the site that you're working at to get those kind of uh, smaller, finer points that can better inform your decision as to which embryo to transfer. And then the other thing inside that category is talk about what mosaic result there was. Not all mosaic results are equal. Also in that thousand embryo study, they did a really elegant job of breaking down, okay, there was this different little cell line population that was, that was different from the rest of the cells that were normal. You can have three different kinds of uh, types of mosaicism, segmental, which is just a piece or a segment of one of the chromosomes or textbooks in the, in the um, DNA. You can have a whole chromosome or you can have multiple. And the bigger the mosaic result, obviously, the less likely it was to result in a good outcome. And that just kind of makes inherent sense. That's a kind of a common sense finding. But it was nice to have that validated in the study. You know, on that point, I found it very interesting, too. So they talk about the fact that it doesn't matter or they haven't found a statistical significance in um, the amount of DNA that's actually different in comparison to the amount of cells that are mosaic. So what do you mean by that? Yeah. So if you have a low proportion of mosaicism, Mm -hmm. you have a much greater chance in comparison to someone who has a high risk of mosaicism. On another level, it does not matter what that mosaicism is. So whether it is just a piece of a chromosome that is added in those abnormal cells, or if it is an entire chromosome that is added or deleted in those cells. At this point in time, they have not found a statistical significance based on the volume of chromosome material that is different. They have only found a difference in the volume of mosaicism that is different. Yeah, that's a perfect distinction. Thank you. So put in, put another way, it, most important in the result of the mosaic is how many of the cells were mosaic. If some of the cells were mosaic, that may not be that big of a deal. If most of the cells were mosaic, there might be an intrinsic problem in that, in that embryo that caused it to have so many problems with its mitosis. 
And therefore those embryos tend to do a little bit worse. You're right. More important than what, what is mosaic, how many of the cells were mosaic. That's a, Yeah, that's a really important distinction. Absolutely. So we've defined mosaic embryo. We talked about how common they are and where they show up in nature. Talked a little bit about uh, the fact that you can have live births and it's worth a conversation about the nuances of what mosaic diagnosis you have. And we've talked about that thousand embryo study. So it's worth, it is worth that conversation. And we talked a little bit about the self-correction dilution effect of why it is the case that mosaics are worth thinking about transferring. Let's say we transfer this embryo and you're in that one, at one out of three that actually results in a, in a pregnancy. Do, what do you counsel patients on how to manage uh, those pregnancies? So anytime there is a mosaic that is put in instead of a normal embryo, um, typically the miscarriage rate is going to be about double. So typically we quote a 25% miscarriage rate for those mosaics mm -hmm. and around a 12% miscarriage rate for a normal embryo. Um, mm -hmm. That changes based on lab, based on study and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. But those are, those are averages. Um, they were actually released by the Journal of Clinical Medicine this year. So mm -hmm. they have they are looking into these to try to figure out and tease out those exact numbers of what is the difference for miscarriage rate, what is the difference for live birth rate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for those that do not miscarriage and make it to term, most that most are quoting about a 40% live birth rate in mosaicism and compared to a euploid embryo. Yeah, that's, that's about, that's about what we see. Um, I've, I've transferred a few mosaic embryos and I have, a, and I have a few live births, um, in my, in my short time down here so far. And that's, so that's about what, with our numbers, I 30, 30, 30 is what I quote just cause it's kind of easy to remember. And it's mm -hmm. fairly, fairly close to what we're seeing. But I think as I, as my numbers grow, I'll, I'll be, a, a, my numbers will probably be a little bit more nuanced and match, match those cohorts, but that's exactly right. Uh, so do you, do you recommend any other antenatal or, or do you recommend any other pregnancy monitoring or any other testing during pregnancy for, for patients that are pregnant with a mosaic embryo? Typically not. And that goes from the fact that a, we don't want to cause more problems than we already have. Um, so something like an amniocentesis can always have even more issues. Um, we have that mm -hmm. risk of infection. We have that risk of just baby loss in general, mm -hmm. anything like that. So typically we don't. Um, there's also a couple different flavors of PGT testing. So when we're talking about just aneuploidy or just looking at if there's an odd number of chromosomes, um, typically that is not something that we need to do further testing on because if a child is developed with an aneuploidy, they will usually have issues. Um, aneuploiders are not Other something signs. that are typically just used. They're not something that is naturally occurring. Um, we do have down syndrome and some of our sex cells that we can have aneuploidies for, but they're typically not viable pregnancies. Yeah. Completely. And you'll see, you'll see, you'll see signs, either the pregnancy will show you signs or you'll see signs on routine ultrasounds and other exactly. things. Exactly. Like yeah. So monitor these pregnancies the same as you would any other pregnancy. Just make sure you are paying attention. Uh, Caroline, I'll give you an opportunity. If you have any other last words or other thoughts that you wanted to include in things I didn't think to bring up or questions I didn't ask you, or do you think we, we covered it all? Yeah. So I, I think the only thing that I always like to kind of hammer home is that 
no genetic test is going to eliminate all of your errors completely. So even if you're putting, even if you do PGT, baby can be completely normal in testing and still have a unfavorable outcome. So just to know that we can do as much as we can, but there's only a certain point where we don't have all the answers. It, it's true. We, I think it, it, it's worth pausing just because it, we, we've gotten really good at the testing and the testing has become extremely accurate. And so instances that you're describing are, are, are more and more rare, uh, but, but they are always worth keeping in mind. I think anybody with a pregnancy that has worked so hard as in IVF and genetic testing, et cetera, you, you know, you, you definitely need to pay attention uh, because those pregnancies are, are, are obviously very precious and, and warrant close observation and surveillance. Um, Absolutely. And testing is always getting more sophisticated. They've mm-hmm. already talked about doing uh, PGTSR, where they're looking for even smaller structural rearrange events. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I've, so... I, have, I have several babies doing that, doing that very thing, too. That's a, those are, that is well beyond the scope of this conversation, <laughs> uh, but, but we'll tackle that one day. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, PGTM and PGTSR, and, and then one day we'll get into non-invasive genetic testing of embryos as well. That, that, that's, a, that's an up-and-coming uh, forefront of the field, and that's really, really exciting. But I think this has been a really helpful and, and very descriptive and, and in-depth conversation about a really complicated topic that probably deserves three hours of conversation, but I don't think anybody <laughs> could listen to me that long. Um, so I really, I really appreciate your time and, and jumping in on this and, and, and helping me make sense of something that is relatively complicated, I have to say. Absolutely. Uh, I, I guess I've already said that three or four times. But anyway, <laughs> um, I really appreciate, really appreciate your time. And I hope you have a good rest of your day and a, and a good conference that I know you have to skip off to now. If anybody has any uh, questions or comments or thoughts or concerns, of course, you can always email us at podcast at fertilityanswers.com. And I look forward to bringing another podcast to everybody next month and potentially thinking of something else to have you back on for, Caroline. Thank you. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for having me. All right, everybody. Have a good day. Bye.